Welcome to the Passel CMO Series podcast, where we discuss all things marketing and business development. Today, we're going to explore how firms can differentiate themselves in the market. The difference between law firms are often difficult to fully illustrate to the market. Being able to dif- differentiate and clearly explain the value of the firm is important, and usually this falls under the remit and one of the jobs of the, the CMO. We're lucky today to jump into this topic with Susie Williams, National Director, Marketing and Business Development at leading Canadian law firm Macmillan. Susie, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Charles. And you're dialing in from Toronto, is it, or you're just outside? Yeah, I'm uh, in Toronto, the GTA, so yeah. Okay, brilliant. Well, we've had a few folk from Toronto recently. Um, Lisa Azulo from over at Bennett Jones, Judith McKay from um, McCarthy Tate Trolt, and Tamara Costa from BLG. So we're really getting some great insight um, straight out of Bay Street. So um, yeah, it's a pleasure to have you on. Thank you. Um, for the Bennett, benefit of our audience, Susie, could you take us through the journey of how you came to be in your role at Macmillan? And was there a specific point in your journey when differentiation of the firm became a key consideration? Sure. As I I look back, I I actually started my career in sales. And since I was compensated almost 100% commission, I learned pretty quickly about sales principles like the law of averages and that if what you're selling isn't clearly addressing a need, you know, you better find another gig. Mm. So uh, I moved from sales to customer service and eventually on to marketing where I pretty much kept my teeth in professional services. I started at a pretty small law firm. Uh, that was acquired by a larger Bay Street firm. And then after that merger, there seemed to be two leaders of many roles, including marketing. So I took my experience to another national firm and uh, it, uh, I had the opportunity there to lead their marketing team. Now, I would say I had some ownership aspirations, but I'm not, I'm not a lawyer, so uh, law society rules don't provide a path to partnership for non-lawyers. So I made another move to an engineering firm where I actually had the opportunity and achieved becoming a global equity partner. And I, I think this was kind of valuable point in my career because it was one where I could demonstrate that as a partner, um, I had true skin in the game as a, as a marketing professional, where I was really making marketing investments, not just marketing spends, where uh, uh, members of the organization are like, what's marketing doing with our money now? Well, it's not our money. It was my money as well. So working to invest it wisely. About a dozen years later, after the resource market changed, the opportunity to lead the marketing and business development efforts at Macmillan came up, and I was fortunate to be selected for the role. So here I am. That's a, that's a, a, a pretty um, interesting journey. So started in sales um, mm-hmm. and then operated as a global equity partner in, in your marketing role. Mm-hmm. Um, shaping really sort of shaping the marketing direction i like what you said about um they're not marketing spend they're marketing investments and and, and really um you know make, making that strategy work work for the firm and, and the growth of the firm 
Yeah, indeed. Like when you uh, are able to bring a different perspective in terms of um, where we're investing and how we're spending our uh, marketing and business development dollars, the internal clients that we're servicing look at things a whole lot differently, right? So uh, that 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 really helped on recommendations and setting directions and opportunities that we intended to pursue. So in terms of um, understanding when that, that point was where, where you realized that differentiation of the firm was a key thing you need to work on, was that something that you sort of already had at play at that point or was that more when you sort of came into the, the legal space? No, it, actually it started um, early on and I would, uh, I would encourage uh, all to do a stint uh, in the customer service department of their organizations. Because uh, when I was in customer service, this is where I had the opportunity to hear direct from the clients what their issues were, what their pain points were. And I was able to actually see um, an evolution in a product when I was working for a, a conference service provider. Um, at the, uh, at the end of the conference, the speaker's papers were put into a binder. And of course the binders would break and the pages would fall out and the folks would complain to the uh, customer service. And, and this feedback uh, sort of led in part to a product innovation where um, with uh, the feedback from the clients and of course the insight of like a great marketing uh, mentor of mine, they they were able to address it by creating a new new product, and they took the conference papers and they perfect bound them into a paperback book. And not only did they make them available to the uh, attendees, but they also sold these paper bound books um, as a new aftermarket revenue stream. And at the time. Perfect binding was different than any other conference providers, a definite differentiator in the marketplace. Well, it sounds amazing what you can learn from just by listening to your clients. And when we um, we talked about this topic before, before when we were discussing this podcast, um, you mentioned the importance of, of client listening to feedback, and that's a great example. Um, how are you incorporating the voice of the client in the positioning of Macmillan? Well, um, from that experience, that was sort of my earliest intro. And then over the years, I have learned and come to understand the importance of formally being open to listening, having some empathy around understanding the pain points and the opportunities that uh, clients raise and working to capture all that feedback and uh, implementing it taking it from insight to action uh, to help the, the business, right? We, uh, we know the marketplace is pretty competitive. As a national law firm, I would naturally say we've got outstanding lawyers who are racking up the accolades, not dissimilar from a number of firms in our competitive set. Our lawyers uh, and others do great work to win the business. But you know what? Um, with client feedback, we, we feel that we can do more. And we are doing more now to invest in tapping into those feedback sources. 
And when we looked at things, we saw that there's actually a number of different sources to obtain client feedback. Of course, our primary source is to ask the client. With uh, our client feedback program, uh, in the face-to-face -face interviews, we've gone sort of beyond the satisfaction questions to involve our clients in some of the business driver decisions. And those things um, include uh, gaining their perspective on our brand positioning and the value of uh, ESG to their business. We also, um, on a day-to-day -day basis, our lawyers collect informal feedback. That's harder to capture and put into uh, a database where we can make that feedback actionable. So tapping into and building the formal feedback process uh, is goes a long way to helping us to make some change. Um, there are a couple of the other sources of client feedback that we're focused on as um, uh, at the conclusion of a proposal, we do post-submission debriefings, uh, both whether we win or lose. We don't just, you know, we're not just looking for the good news um, or the bad news. We're looking to learn. And uh, asking the clients is a great opportunity uh, to do just that. And, you know, looking around as marketing professionals, of course, um, we have marketing automation tools that uh, provide us with a wealth of information. Everything from uh, what bulletins they're reading, what invitations from us that they've accepted. Um, each of these things, I would say, are an indicator to what our clients and our prospects might be facing in their businesses. And it's great information but it's only worthwhile if you're able to take those insights and turn them into action. In this case, if you, you know, if a client is reading about a particular issue, the action would be to work with the lawyer to actually outreach so that we can uh, share how we can help them. I like that idea of turning insights into action. And one of the things you mentioned there that, um, Obviously, you've got these great um, sources of the, the formal um, sort of client listening and feedback. You mentioned about the informal stuff, getting feedback, the lawyers getting their, their feedback. Um, is that something you have to train them in doing or, or make them aware? Or is that something that naturally they've been quite good at? It just struck me as something, oh, that's impressive that the lawyers are remembering to do that. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think it's... It's two things. Um, the lawyers are, uh, some are naturals that, you know, um, checking in with their clients, uh, highlighting any issues or opportunities at practice group meetings. Uh, so it, it works well there. The bringing some formality to the process, it, uh, it presents the opportunity to, um, to address the issues on a broader scale, right? So that we're not just asking one in two clients, we're, we're checking in across a broader range of clients and we're you know, looking for trends and opportunities so that it's not just a, it's a squeaky wheel, it's, um, it's sort of an experience design change to 
if we need to make change, we're not doing it necessarily just for one. We're looking at how we can uh, improve our processes and the way that we interact with our clients. Talent and experience are often what separates one firm from the other. So how can firms show in an authentic and effective way that they're the best choice? Well, I, I think it's, uh, it's just that, like start with uh, being authentic and uh, most importantly, because we don't sell widgets, we sell intellectual capital, we need to invest in our people. And at our firm, I would say, you know, we continue to work with uh, recruiting to identify, groom, grow, very talented and a diverse group of uh, law students to seasoned practitioners who come aboard as lateral hires. These folks we feel, you know, share, you're looking for people who sort of share your same philosophies around client focus, to be solutions oriented, to be, you know, um, to appreciate the firm culture. So on the talent side, um, you bring the, the folks that are most aligned with your thinking and as focused as we are on client-centric, uh, uh, client-centricity, uh, that, uh, that is a starting point. Uh, sometimes the, we have to do work in terms of finding um, outside of the law schools, finding and inspiring talents through different sort of grassroots organizations and community programs uh, to introduce the ideals of a career in the legal industry. As in, we found through our affinity group work and such in underserved communities, they may not even be aware that becoming a lawyer is a possibility. And I can say from a marketing professional's perspective, I, I do remember a time when uh, professional marketers themselves weren't aware there was such a career as marketing for law firms. And all I can say is look at us now. What you've just said is essentially, you don't know what you don't know. So actually reaching some of those people that wouldn't have considered um, a, a job in, in this sort of field be purely because of the fact they didn't know it exists. And that's something that, that resonates with me. And um, uh, in, in a previous life before um, before my role at Paso, I, I worked in education. And, and, and one of the things I found with kids and when you're speaking to them about what they want to do and their aspirations when they're older, and, um, you know, I'm, I'm in my mid-30s now, so I, I sort of know what's on offer, but you, you speak to kids at that age and, and, and obviously they just don't know all those opportunities out there. So, um, yeah, that, that really resonates, that idea of, you've sometimes got to go out and, and seek that talent and show them um, what um, opportunities exist. Yeah, that's it. Exactly. Um, we're, we're in it, but now, but yeah, people don't necessarily know. So we take that opportunity to educate where you wouldn't normally or necessarily look. So, uh, so it's a great, you know, it opens up a great new, pool of talent and it's uh it's something that you're working to inspire uh people over the longer term 
right? It's not just oh, we need uh, we need the recruiting team to hire somebody now, but it's um, it's over the long term, which is uh, I think very fulfilling. Yeah, and and we, obviously we've touched on it just there about um, reaching maybe people that are underrepresented in 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 the legal space, and, and we also discussed it um, in the preparation for this call about how diversity and inclusion are becoming central to the, the client experience. What do you think the role of the marketing team is in building these diverse teams? Well, I think we play, uh, can play a couple of roles actually. Um, firstly, uh, many of us are actually talking to our clients, um, going to forums where general counsel are setting uh, and articulating expectations about what they expect to see from their legal service providers and who's on their team. So taking that perspective, those expectations, the what general counsel are looking for, first and foremost, first and foremost, taking that back to the firm and sharing that, hey, this is the expectation. Uh, it's not just what we as a firm believe to be the right approach, but guess what? It lines up with the, the client expectations. Um, we're also seeing an increasing trend in the number of uh, proposals, credentials, new business opportunities that now include questions about um, EDI, our EDI practices, our uh, staffing our uh, makeup of lawyers on the file. So uh, our proposal leads and teams are responding to, uh, to that, but uh, we are also working with our HR teams and our EDI committees who are leading that effort to gather some of the specific um, information uh, and to make it accessible so that we can share it with our clients. And it sounds like you guys already internally um, were doing lots of great things. And I guess that having that expectation from the GCs you're working with, it just helps hold you accountable to the, the things that, you know, you're trying to achieve internally anyway. So I guess that can only be a good thing. Yes, because uh, they're holding us accountable because they too want to, you know, have a reputation and uh, a brand position in the marketplace that they want to be able to uh, share and celebrate in the marketplace about their own EDI practices. So it's pretty much a synergistic uh, relationship when you can recognize it. Brill. Well, now it's come to that time in the podcast where we're going to jump into the quick fire round. So this is a chance for the listeners to learn a bit more about you. And so we'll jump into it. Sounds good. So the first question I've got is, what is your favorite business and non-business book? So you can have two if you wish. Oh, okay. All right. Um, well, I would say my favorite business book is The Agile Marketer, and it's focused on turning customer experience into your competitive advantage. It's written by Roland Smart, and pretty much as I look at it, it's one you know, it's pretty dog-eared. It's got my sticky notes, and it's pretty much within arm's reach of my desk because it's uh, it's a book that's both sort of foundational and practical 
And it really takes you on, you know, that sometimes very lengthy journey to recognize um, the importance of adopting client experience. So definitely one for all uh, budding marketeers to pick up and, and put in their library. Yeah, I would say so. And I guess on the non-business side, um, I'm reading a book my sister gave me, and it's called um, No Bootstraps When You're Barefoot by Wes Hall, who's born in Jamaica, where my family's from. And it's pretty much more than a rags to riches memoir. I haven't finished it yet, but um, it's uh, if you if you haven't seen him on Dragon's Den, uh, West Hall is often recognized as an influential entrepreneur, investor, and champion of combating anti-black racism. I'm finding it really quite inspiring so far. Fantastic! I'll, I'll have to check that one out. And um, that's no bootstraps when you're barefoot. That's right. Fantastic. And um, what was your first job? My very first job uh, was a summer job in the office that my neighbor hired me uh, into. It um, was Canada's version of the Performing Rights Society. Okay. And yeah, when I, when I uh, went to the office, I actually, that's when I realized that she was the president. And it actually gave me the opportunity to see a great woman leader in action and able to sort of meet some great Canadian musical artists like uh, Carol Pope, Salome Bay. And, I, you know, you just don't realize who sometimes your neighbors are. This is a woman that we gardened with and shoveled her snow. And to see that she was so respected by um, her people and celebrities at work, it was kind of a great role model. That must have been such a formative experience for a young Susie Williams. Yes, yeah, it was, uh, you know, a far cry uh, from working over at the CNE in the candy, you know, shop. Uh, and that sort of set me on the path with uh, uh, the business world. What makes you happy at work? Well, we do spend a lot of time at work. So I would say first, you know, you got to love what you do and you have to believe in the purpose. And at least I'm very happy to say that uh, those things are true with me. But really, it's, uh, it's the people that I work with, right? I have a great team. We work together to try and move the needle. And we have uh, great people around us from my peer leaders to not just the lawyers, but I spend time with our LAAs, our legal assistants, who often uh, help me get through to our lawyers. I would say, you know, not just our department, but it's a real people ecosystem that sort of uh, makes me happy at work. Well, it sounds like a, a wonderful place to be. Indeed. And um, what are you listening to at the moment? This could be a podcast, music, audiobook. You know what? I'm really not too picky here. Usually I'm listening to old school reggae or R&B playlists when I'm, you know, on the treadmill or doing the dishes. I like that old school reggae. That's what I was brought up on my mum whenever she was doing the housework. She would um, yeah. put on her reggae, reggae music. So, um, yeah, brilliant stuff. That's it. And um, where is your favorite place to visit and why? 
Um, I would have to say there really isn't one particular place. You know, there's been there's been many sort of memorable ones, and I can think of you know uh, in almost your neck of the woods when we were sightseeing through the streets of Monaco. Okay. Uh, which, which you know we were uh, taken by a, a driver, and as a Formula Formula One fan, you know when that driver tells you you're on the the track that Lewis Hamilton raced on, you know that made Monaco that much more exciting. Or you know when I was traveling to Jamaica, which is uh, home for my family, um, and being able to swim with the dolphins that was memorable and I guess the point is that when you have a great experience and you love the people that you're with which in those cases were with my family that makes it a favorite place to be so that experience and the folks that you're with uh, that brings it all together for me. Wonderful. And, and I bet that was good fun swimming with dolphins in Jamaica and racing around Monaco uh, in, in the back of a taxi. Was that? Yes. Yeah. It was, <laughs> yeah. It was pretty cool for sure. Brilliant. So to wrap up the podcast, we end all the podcasts this way. What would be your one piece of advice for others trying to build a point of difference for their firm? Um, I would start with first, uh, just take time to listen to your clients, um, understand their circumstances, their goals, their motivations, and their, their pain points. And then really just be agile to affect change, to address them, not just as a one-off, but work to do it systematically. So I wrote down there, take time to listen to your clients, be agile to make the change and then work systematically to achieve it. Does that sound about right? That's it, exactly. That's brilliant, a brilliant three points to uh, end on. Well, Susie, thank you for coming on and sharing your thoughts on how law firms can really differentiate themselves in the market. It sounds like you're doing some great things at McMillan and, and I wish you smiles and success for the rest of 2023. <laughs> Thanks very much, Charles, and to you. <laughs>